Let's jump back into 1 Corinthians together. This past week, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we will continue and finish the end of the chapter today and take one step into, verse, into chapter 11 because of an unfortunate chapter break. So if you've been with us for any length of time, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians here for a bit, and uh, what Paul's been doing in this letter to Corinth is he's, it's a corrective letter where there's all these problems in the church at Corinth, and what he's doing is he's giving corrective teaching, but not just, hey, let me rub your nose in it kind of correcting teaching like that we do with our dog, where it's just like, don't do that again and again and again. He's actually correcting not with just don't do that, but here's why, and here's how actually we should root our understanding in the gospel. And then uh, we've arrived at chapter 10 after chapter 8 saying that spiritual maturity isn't, uh, 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 it's not seen by your, uh, the amount of books you've read, the amount of theology courses you've taken, but it's your growth in love. Chapter 9, Paul said that the giving up of your rights shows your love for others. And then in chapter 10 last week, we saw that the welcoming in of idolatry will result in our ruin. We had the whole kind of history of Israel to show us last week that just a little bit of bends here and there in towards idolatry will result in ruin for us. And so today, Paul's going to close this section with one final word on eating meat sacrificed to idols. So if you're not already there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, we'll read through 23 all the way to the beginning of chapter 11, verse 1. The verses will also come up on the screens for you. Hear the word of the Lord that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and today, this word is for us. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered and sacrificed, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of the conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because for that for which I gave thanks. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Like it or not, this morning, whether you come in here as a follower of Jesus or not, you are an evangelist for something. All of us are. And, and Paul gets at this fact in here, that he's doing everything that he's doing here, whether he's choosing to do something or not choose to do something, because of another motive. He wants to see people come to Jesus. So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, this is our aspiration, this is our goal. This is the, the goal that we should set for ourselves is to be evangelist for Jesus. But uh, you see, everyone in here is an evangelist of something because you can't help but talk about the things that you like. You can't help but talk about the things that you love. 
Whether it's your gym or a restaurant or your favorite books or, or the, the places that you frequent, the games you like to play or the, even the brand of soap detergent that you guys use, you're an evangelist for the things that you like and the things that you love. We all kind of become walking billboards for these types of things. There's actually this phenomenon uh, nowadays, nowadays in our culture on um, all of the social media sites of something called brand ambassadors. And these brand ambassadors literally get paid for just wearing a certain type of shirt. They get paid for like, I'm going to you know, drink this type of drink or I'm going to have this type of uh, thing in my life that I don't really need, but I'm going to wear it and walk around with it just so I get paid to be seen with it, right? You've seen it and all that you'll see it in the Super Bowl commercials coming up, right? Like Tom Brady, like pretending to eat a Subway sandwich. That dude hasn't had bread since like 2001, man. Like, no way, no way. It's like, all he has is like IVs in some back room somewhere. Like, I don't know how the dude's alive. But anyways, brand ambassadors, if we see ourselves, all of us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you can't help but talk about the things that you like and you love. And what this means is that you have a Christian witness. Christian witness. Witness is, is, is a word that I think kind of has fallen out of favor in the church because it got kind of overused in the 90s. Everyone was talking about your witness, your witness, your witness about everything, right? And so it kind of fell out of favor, but your Christian witness, you have one whether you know about it or not, right? Like a, a belly button or a spare tire or an accent, everybody's got one. It's just whether you know you have one or not, right? All of us have weird quirks. And so you can either have a bad Christian witness, like putting stumbling blocks in front of people coming to Jesus, like your ego, or being a hypocrite, or outright sin in your life, or maybe it's just being a jerk, or you can have a good Christian witness. This passage begs the question of how would Paul define that? See, I think Paul's main point to his audience here is he's urging the Corinthian believers to avoid actions that calls others to reject the gospel message. Avoid those actions. But he tells them how to do it, and it's two ways. It's multifaceted. It's by exercising their freedom not to just do things, but also not to do them. Another way to say this is, being able to say no for the right reasons is true freedom. Being able to say no for the right reasons is true freedom. If you can't say no to doing whatever you want all the time, whenever you want to, that's actually the definition of slavery. You are enslaved to your own desires, your own quote-unquote freedoms, right? Think about it. Think about the most like kind of classic uh, uh, versions of this, this idea of enslavement or addiction. Like alcoholics saying, I can, I can stop anytime I want, but they never do. Like loners who say, well, I don't need the church. Me and Jesus have got a good thing going on over here. I don't really need accountability. I don't need other people in my life. I just need my little Jesus fix, and I'm good, before they blow up their life and silently deconstruct because they don't have community. They don't have the church around them. Think about shopaholics who says, well, it's just, I just need one more month with my credit card. I'll be fine. I just need one more purchase at this place or that. They never stop. See, we come to learn that total freedom, unregulated, without the restraint of reason and the gospel, is actually deadly. Like total freedom. Like a, your pet dog running loose in the highway isn't actually free up there. He might think that, oh, fences are so unfair. 
It doesn't feel loving to have fences. But no, the backyard fence isn't unfair. It's the place where that dog is actually free. See, I know that many of us, <laughs> you're already at this point in the gathering, you're like, come on, Pastor. We, we, we could talk about something else here. Can we talk about something more theologically deep? Give me some big, meaty doctrine to work through this morning. Like, let's, let's, let's talk about the finer uh, points of, of church history or something. But this idea of self-denial, yeah, we've heard this one before. Can we just move on past this? Can we just move on past this idea of giving up our rights? Not hardly. Self-denial is at the heart of the gospel message. Self-denial is at the heart of the work of Christ. Not only has Christ shown us the perfect example of it, but he's called us to walk in it. And Paul would actually say at the end of the passage, follow me as I follow Christ in this work of self-denial. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. See, in the gospel, Jesus gave up his rights, what he deserved, what he was entitled to, so that we could live. He gave up what was rightfully his so that we could gain what we could never earn for ourselves. Jesus even gives up his own life in his death so that we could experience new life of the new birth of faith brought about by the Spirit. So yeah, self-denial really, really matters. We don't get to move on from this basic building block of the gospel. So in order to give us a better grasp on this passage, we'll break it down into three main sections that we'll look at together. First, the corrective command of verses 23 and 24, two short kind of case study of the practicals of how do we go about putting this into practice? What do we practically do, and he's given instructions to the Corinthian church that are specific to their plight with food uh, sacrificed to idols. And then finally, three, a call to follow in verses 31, 11 through 1. Let's look at the corrective command first. Look back at verse 23 with me. Paul writes in verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Corinthian Christians must have been so focused on their own rights and their own, quote, knowledge that they were only asking one real question. And I think we're guilty of asking the same question as well. Well, you know, if I eat this meat offered to idols, what's the harm to me? Why should I care about what anybody else thinks? See, they should have been asking, ask Christians, more than that, they need to ask, is this good for me? Not just can I do it, but is it good for me? Is it good for others? Is it loving for others? See, the wisdom of this is this. Just because something is permitted does not mean it's beneficial, right? I've heard, I've heard many of you military guys say this. is like, one ibuprofen is good, ten is better. No. Mm -mm. Not good. Not good. Especially after you get done doing that thing you just did, and then your knees break in half, okay? Like, not good. See, just because something is permitted does not mean it's beneficial. You are free to do a lot of things, some of which are just dumb and silly to do. Like, this is a plain Jane-looking shirt I got on up here. I have the freedom to wear it backwards if I want to. Maybe some of you wouldn't even notice. But it would just be dumb. Like, don't do that. It's not, it's not helpful. It's not good. 
But what if it gets more serious than just like wearing a shirt backwards or something silly? Something that's essential. See, that's what the Corinthians were doing here. Eating meat sacrificed to idols could be seen by others in the church and outside of the church as participation in worship. You get that? This is not just, I'm going to run by McDonald's right quick and pick me up a hamburger. This is participation in worship that people would perceive this as. Not just the worship of capitalism, right? This is worship of a particular deity, a particular demon that these people would be giving their lives to. See, they, as the Corinthian church, were obsessed, it seems, with the question of, well, how far can I go before I'm not acting like a Christian anymore? And that should not be the case. See, we often do the same. See, instead of focusing on that, Paul wants to shift and build upon this principle of all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful, to the very words of Jesus. Let's look at verse 24. Verse 24, this is just Paul riffing off Jesus here. He says this, but no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. See, Paul wants to see this church, he wants to see these Christians not just obsessed with their own liberties, their own freedoms that they have in Christ under the law of Christ, but he wants to see that their good is intrinsically tied to each other. Their good and the good of their community and the, the good of their Christian witness is tied to each other. It's not just about my own rights or what I can be permitted to do or not do. See, the standards by which we judge our behavior extend outside beyond ourselves. We must consider what is the loving thing towards my brother in Christ, Jesus, and those outside the church. It's because of that, Paul quickly then turns from the principle to this case study in verses 25 through 30. I'll give you the cliff notes of it. Three big points here. One, don't obsess about everything. Paul tells them, like, hey, go to the meat market, enjoy, have the hamburger, buy the steak, don't worry about it, it's cool, enjoy, right? Full stop. Because he roots it in verse 26. He quotes from the Psalms and says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. That Psalm goes on to, to build to the point of saying, who is this king of glory? Who is the one who owns all things? And it is beautiful in the fact that it so easily maps onto the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is the one with clean hands. Jesus is the one that has a pure heart. Jesus is the one who came and it died the death that we deserve for sin and deserves all glory and all honor and all praise forever and ever, amen. And the gates of heaven open up at his command because he is worthy. The earth in its fullness is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So we don't need to worry about where this meat comes from because God owns it all. He's, he's sovereign over it all. Then in verse 27, Paul says, well, you know, accept the hospitality of others. If you go to a house, someone who's not a follower of Jesus, and there's not explicit idolatry going on, enjoy dinner. Have a good time. Hang out with the folks. Tell them about Jesus. Let your Christian witness be on display as the person that can fully enjoy what this world has to offer under the law of Christ, because you are the one that's most free to be able to do so. Your liberties are not enslaved to your own desires. You're free to enjoy but then, in verse 28 through 30, there's an exception clause. 
And the exception clause is this. Verse 28 says, I do not, uh, it says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, that meat, do not eat it. Very clear. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. So if there is explicit idolatry going on here, if it's mentioned that this meat, this thing that you're participating in, is done in honor of a deity that's outside of Jesus, outside of the true God, you do not do it. You do not touch it. Jesus and worship of any other thing do not mix. So you should not do that. And he gives two reasons here. One, for the person that you're in the presence of. If this non-believer sees you, quote, worshiping, or it looks like you're worshiping by eating their uh, meat sacrificed to their demon, they, they would expect you to avoid this. It's going to defile their image of what a follower of Jesus looks like. And then two, other believers who would have weaker consciences would and could be offended by this. But Paul outright defends his own liberty, saying, it's not my conscience I'm defiling here. I know that I can eat this. I know that I can participate in this. But I'm choosing not to because that ability to be able to say no for the right reasons, that's where real freedom's found. That's where real life is found that Paul's advocating for here. So if you're, you're sitting here and you're like, man, this is all well and good. This is all some really great historical stuff about what the early church had to endure and all the early church, you know, Apparently, every Aldi was a butcher shop to the, the local god or something like that. Every grocery store was like this, this, this hall of things offered to idols. But we don't really have to worry about that, right? I'm not going go, uh, to go to Walmart or whatever, whatever and have to go to the, the section of steaks that were offered to Zeus or the steaks that are, you know, okay for Christians to buy. I don't have to worry about that. We need to translate this into our time, right? What is meat offered to idols? We're not going to have this particular struggle, but this principle carries through time into every single facet of our life. Let's start here with the question of what is meat offered to idols with a quick antonym of it. We know what it's not, right? Meat offered to idols in this scenario is not explicit sin, not objective sin. Paul gives no license for objective sin. It's like, oh yeah, I look at holy pornography, or, you know, I, or not the other stuff, you know. Or, I, you know, I, uh, I'm going to murder someone the Christian way. No, we don't get that option. We, we don't get to be able to say, oh, the objective sin, but there's this caveat for Christians in there. There's not anything else. Sin is sin. So what are we free to participate in? <laughs> Everything. All is lawful. But not all things are helpful. As long as we are under the law of Christ, like not sinning, we are free. So how are we free not to participate? And this freedom, again, is good news because if you have to always exercise your freedom to do everything you want, whenever you want it, that is the definition of slavery. Again, let's get to some practical examples here. We are free not to in these areas of our life. Everybody's favorite whipping boy in this, right? Alcohol. What do you do? Are you free to participate with alcohol? Sure. Great, to the glory of God. But where's the line? I think Paul would say, according to this passage of Scripture, if, you're, if the group text with you and your buddies when you're going out to Dirtbag Ales is, I can't wait to get wasted tonight, hands off, man. Like, you're done. You, you cannot, in good conscience, go out there and participate in that act of debauchery. You can't do it. 
Maybe you go and just be the, you know, the DD for the night, right? Make sure the guys don't end up doing something stupid. But you can't actively encourage and participate in something that's going to lead to objective sin, right? Now, are you free? <laughs> yes. Are you free not to? Yes, indeed. Two, politics. We're free to participate in politics. We, could, we can and should participate in politics, right? We should vote as our conscience allows for this candidate or that candidate. But when it becomes among the, the people that you're around that, that this person or this policy is the answer, this is the only way, this is the, the, the person that's going to save us, this is our savior, no more. Hands off. That's, that's worship of power. That is worship of control. That is idolatry. Hands off. It comes to the kids' sports. Yeah, have your kid play t-ball. Yeah, t- let your kid play upward basketball. Do what your conscience allows with kids. And let them get their aggression out on the football field or whatever. Whatever people are thinking about football right now. Whatever. But if the, 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 the thing that you're saying to me is, hey, I can't go to church right now because of travel ball. See you next summer. Can't see you on Sundays. You're worshiping an idol there. Is your kid's athleticism, is your kid's uh, social group, is your desire to have your kids on a travel ball team worth sacrificing the primary means of discipleship in their life with, with communion with the saints? It's not. It's like about the little thing in your, in your, in your pocket, the, the computer that holds the, you know, answers the universe right here. Like, are you free to have whatever apps you want on your phone? Sure, Right? Anyone you want, TikTok, you got Instagram, you got Snapchat, you got all kinds of crazy social media apps or whatever, dating apps, this, that, and other, right? But you must ask yourself the question, am I bowing down to this thing as my idol? Am I addicted to the dopamine hits that my brain gets when I get the little ding on my phone? Am, am I finding myself for hours doom scrolling? Am I, am, am, I, am I giving myself to this idolatry? Do my kids see me do that? We must ask ourselves, is, this, is, it, is it not just permissible, but is it good for me? Is it good for my neighbor? Is every time you participate in a dating app, it just becomes another instance of where your expectations get thwarted and you just say, whatever. And you give yourself in to sexual sin again. Are you free to have the app on your phone? Sure. Is it good? Is it, is it building, flourishing? in your life and in the lives of others. It's even like the, the simple things in our life. I mean, you can go to the YMCA and participate in a yoga class, right? I can remember going to the yoga class at the YMCA. I don't go to the YMCA anymore, uh, but I can remember going in. I learned a ton about stretching and how my body can actually like stretch in places that I didn't even know it could. And it was great because it kept me from hurting myself while weightlifting, right? But if the yogi, the instructor at the front is, uh, you know, actively trying to commune with their divine essence within and telling you to empty your mind so to invite the spirits to join you, you should run out the back door. Like, you, you, should, you should get out of there. You know, that's, that's not good. That, that's an invitation of the demonic activity right there. You don't want that in your life. So are you free to get your stretch on? For sure. I'm that weird guy in the corner of the gym with the foam roller. You know what I mean? Like, Getting, getting it, you know, in the corner, like in all the poses and stuff. I, just all by my lonesome. I don't have a class, whatever. I got my little AirPods in. But you are free to engage in this 
But there are ways in which wisdom comes into account, where I account, is this good for me? Is it good for my neighbor? And being able to say no in areas like this in our life, for the right reasons, is true freedom. Finally, we see in this passage a call to follow in verses 31 and 11, 1. Let's look at this passage again. If you have your Bibles open, it'll come up on the screen as well. Paul ends his practical bit of, with the principle for saying that all things may be lawful, not all things are helpful, with an even more encompassing, crystal clear principle at the end here. He says, do all things to the glory of God. Verse 31. So, whether you eat or drink, easy way of saying all of life, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, the imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, um, when I was growing up, my uh, family had a saying, and it might have been something that your family said too, uh, do a job, great or small, with all your might, or not at all. And I think that some of us might uh, read that into the text in here, and we just kind of hear the kind of like Sunday school answers or something like that, like, you know, Bible light version of this type of verse. And I think that Paul would say, yes, you should work hard to the glory of God. You should do all things to the glory of God in the sense of like working really hard with all that you got. But he has another aim in mind here. He roots that aim not only in just doing things really well, doing things in a way that points to the glory of God that results in other people coming to Jesus. Do you see that? At the end, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, seeking not my own advantage, but that of many that may, they may be saved. He has all this intrinsically tied to one another. It's not just about doing stuff really well. Paul is interested in other people coming to know and worship King Jesus, knowing him as their Lord and Savior. And what that means is that Paul is an example to others in doing things well, but Paul knows better than anyone else. All of the good works he could ever do could never earn him salvation. All of the work done in the name of God it is great, it's good, but it can never earn our status before God as sons and daughters. There is only one thing that can change that status. There is only one thing in all of human history, in all of human time, at the apex of human history. And it didn't look like it. God had been silent for hundreds of years. The scriptures had set, been set waiting for this Messiah to come. And in a small Bethlehem town was born a baby, a baby who we would know as Christ the Lord, whom it was said that all would come to a saving knowledge of, that would submit themselves to him, would be reconciled to God as Father, would be brought into the family of God, have their sins thrown as far as the east is from the west. And yes, a part of that is, yes, their lives renewed to be able to worship their God in spirit and truth, to be able to do all things for the glory of God. But if we do not root ourselves in the good gospel truth that we could never earn our salvation, 
all of the good that we think that we could do will be done in vain. All of it. So church, I'd like for you to consider with me for a moment. Are you working at your job as an ambassador for Jesus? As a missionary? Remember the beginning, we're all evangelists for something. What are you known for? I'm not saying that you should cut off all the labels on your shirt. I'm not saying that you should stop doing things that you like. I'm saying, in your interactions with others, is it more about you telling them about yourself, telling them about the things that you like, or seeing yourself as a missionary and um, evangelist for Jesus in those relationships? Do you actually believe that you are called by God to make disciples? Do you see your friend groups and the places that you frequent as missional opportunities? See, if you're like me, oftentimes I, I don't. Sometimes I do. It's great. Sometimes I don't. See, I think having this disconnect with this conversation about offending others and weak consciences, it seems foreign to us to some degree because we aren't really acting as mission, uh, on mission like we should in the world around us, like Paul is calling us to. See, Jesus didn't die and resurrect to help us be better people, doing stuff better, bigger, faster, stronger. That's what Christians are. No. <laughs> Redeemed sons and daughters of the Most High King. That's what they are. They, Jesus died to make you a whole new person. And through that, he wants you to lead others, many others, to worship him as well. So I want to leave us with a few questions to consider today. They'll come up on the screen for us. The first is, what freedom to say no to do you struggle with? And are you honest about it? If there's this inward thing in you, if, if I'm honest, it's hard for me to say no to whatever. And you don't have places that you can process that. You don't have people that are in that with you. Well, that is a horribly isolating situation to be in. Because you are your own worst enemy in that. You will convince yourself convince yourself that it's not that bad and indulge and then feel guilty about it and then repeat the pattern again and again. You need people in your life. It's even one of the reasons why we are having a community group connect after the gathering today. We want to connect you into safe spaces where you can be known. Whether it's shopping, alcohol, busyness, maybe it's just your own selfishness. You're like really selfish with your calendar and your time. Or maybe you're harsh with your kids and you just can't help it can't help but always be the disciplinary arm of, of that marriage. You need people in your life, too. Where are you being led to consider what God may have you give up? See, Jesus in the gospel says the, the, the way um, of following him is, is narrow. The road is broad and is wide on the, on the path that leads to destruction. But the way to new life and following Jesus is narrow. It's, it's a narrow way. He has many parables and sayings about, hey, if your, your right hand causes you to sin, you should cut that thing off. Like, you should take drastic measures to remove sin and temptation to sin out of your life for your good and for the good of others. Now again, this does not conflict at all with what Paul has said here. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful here, right? You are free. You are permitted. As long as it's not sin, you're free to do it. But you need to ask yourself the question, is it helpful? Is it good for me? 
Should I have this? Is it producing life in me and others? Finally, last thing. What does doing all to the glory of God look like in your life this week? Maybe it just means working hard. Maybe you've just been kind of slugging it at work a little bit, and you just need to repent of that and say, like, no, this is the vocation that God has sovereignly given me right now, and my Christian witness depends upon me doing all things for the glory of God, even if it's pushing paper, even if it's doing expense reports, even if it's uh, picking up cigarette butts in front of some mess hall somewhere on post. Do all for the glory of God. I know that's real for some of you guys. That sucks. But also, when those people that are above you see you joyfully serve in a way that honors them and respects and shows glory to God, there's something winsomely attractive about that. We must see all of our life as under the lordship of Jesus. Maybe this week it's just repenting to your wife for a conversation that you had or being a jerk. Or maybe it's being respectful to a coworker you can't stand. Or maybe just acknowledging that like your whole life matters. There's not these little pockets that you have sovereignty over. Handing over all of your life to God as an act of worship. See, I don't know all the ins and outs about how this is going to outwork in your heart and your soul and the way the Spirit is moving you right now, but I do know it's going to look like this. It's going to look like you laying down your rights. It's going to look like you considering the good of others above yourself. And it's going to be taking the way of humility like Jesus who purchased our freedom by giving up his own. Let me pray that we would. Lord Jesus, um, I pray that this text, this encouragement to do everything, whether we eat or drink, and everything we do to the glory of God um, would not weigh on us um, in a sense of it feels like we've been given a to-do list, but rather we would joyfully recognize the freedom that we've been given in you, Christ, in the new birth, the new life that we have in you, that all is free for us under your law. And anything less than sin, God, we are free to enjoy in its fullest extent. But God, you also free us from enslavement to our own desires, uh, the sense to have what we don't want and do whatever we want whenever we want to. God, help us to live into that reality and allow us to make much of you as we display the gospel to the world and living into this reality. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.